Uh, but Romans 8 and 9. Let's read uh, this verse. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me there. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Some interesting points here that are clear. I mean, first of all, we need to remind ourselves that this planet was built, was created in the most rich and wonderful way. God created this planet in the most marvelous way. And of course, through the fall and through the sin, it was poured out. <coughs> and it was emptied of that, that, that sense of, of what God did originally. And one day God will restore all things as they should be. And it was poured out and humanity, of course, fell and fell at that point to become a hollow. It was T.S. Eliot in his great poem, The Hollow Man. Well, let me tell you something. Humanity, at that point, when they lost the presence and the relationship of God, we became hollow people. doesn't matter how much you stuff your face, take in stuff, Taking all of, of things into your life that you think will satisfy you, you think will meet your needs. The truth is, the human heart is bottomless and cannot be filled with anything else except the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's only in the Holy Spirit does one find that fulfillment that potential, that life. And after the car wreck, as it were, the wreckage of the great fall, after the wreckage of what has taken place in human life and in the human story, the beautiful thing is, is that, and Paul talks about this, is that the great rescue plan of renewing humanity has come into play. And that we are a renewed people. We are a people that have been renewed uh, and transformed by the power. And we have experienced the greatest miracle. I've called it the mega miracle. We have experienced the greatest miracle where heaven itself has come down and, and dwelt within our hearts. This is a moment in verse 9, 10, 11 when the tense changes. You see, in the previous eight verses, if you've been tracking with us on our journey, Paul has been talking in the third person. He's been talking generally. He's been talking to the whole. He's been saying that, you know, that we are no longer uh, condemned. That we live in the, either in the spirit or in the flesh. We are on that. And he speaks in the third person. But in verse 9, the tense changes. And it's like Paul grabs hold of a chair, turns it round, sits eyeball to eyeball with the Roman church itself, looks in their eye and says, but now let me tell you something. Let me put this to you. Let me come to you right now at this moment and I want to tell you something that is so remarkable, that is so incredible. You, however, are not in the realm 
of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. He's turning around and he's looking at them and saying, first of all, let me remind you personally in the in, in the, in the um, personal tense, let me tell you this, that you have been given the greatest gift that any human being can be given. You are experiencing an expression of God's utter abandonment, of God's commitment, of God's love, of God's total commitment to you as a human being. You say, well, what is that? This is God's total commitment to you as a human being. What is that? It is that God of heaven, creator of the earth, creator of the cosmos, creator of the universe, has come down and has placed his spirit within your life. He says, come. Come on, Roman church. I'm not talking universal things here now. I'm talking you and the way you live. You, you have had a touch of heaven itself come into your life. And there's, a, there's, there's this encouragement that you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. You are not living in the, in the flesh as I said last week, there are only two kinds, of, uh, two kinds of people, as it were, in the flesh or in the spirit. And we have to aim to be people of the spirit. But what he's actually saying to you is, and this is quite interesting, he's actually saying to them, you, when you live in the spirit, God has redeemed you so that you fulfill your utter God-given potential. Even more than this, you discover the person that you are meant to be when you are in the Spirit. You have come to your senses. You have come to the knowledge of God's great potential of the person that you were meant to be because sin robs you of that. Sin steals from you of that. But what the Spirit has done has given back your ultimate potential to be the person that God designed you to be. It's, it has that note of, of, of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 when he says he came to his senses and returned to the Father. And when you are born of the Spirit, you have come to your senses and you find the real self that you were always meant to be, not the false self that is created by the fall and by sinfulness. Your potential is unlimited, is amazing, because God dwells within your life. And the challenge is don't waste that potential because the all-knowing, the all-loving, the all-forgiving, the all-merciful, the almighty God has come to make his home in your life. So don't waste that, Paul is saying. You feel the apostle's breath almost coming through verse 9, breathing towards you, saying, what are you doing? Are you living in the flesh? 
for those of you that are new this morning, the definition of the flesh, quickly, is the wild horse within you that you cannot tame. The desires that battle deep within you. It's not talking about our physical flesh. It's talking about our inner desires. But don't waste the potential. Don't waste that. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus. You were once dead. You may have been alive, but spiritually, we were dead. But now we are alive in Christ. And he has come, as Ephesians 3.17 says, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We have this indwelling. We have this presence that Christ is dwelling within you. That he is present. And in the ancient world, this was revolutionary because gods were far off. Gods were, were kind of strange. They had gods for everything. There was nothing about the personal nature of God dwelling within his people. And yet what the Lord says, he taught himself, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, but my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Hallelujah. You know who's in residence in the center of your life if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? They have come, we will come, and we will make our home with them. He's made his home with you. He's made his home with you. He's present with you. He is so present that he wants to surround you in that love. He wants to protect you. He cares for you so much. He is so committed to you that he's given you the greatest gift. He's given you the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. I kind of imagine it like this. <clears throat> when I was at school in the 70s, I went to a, uh, an English <clears throat> private school, and, uh, which was very nice. It sort of... Um, it was a big old Victorian house, a driveway. We had to wear a maroon uniform with light blue ties. And so, um, and, and we had old classrooms and we had to use an ink and a, and a pen. It wasn't that old that we had to use quills, but, but we'd all line up, yes sir, and, and the teacher come in. It was the 70s, a dangerous time to go to school. And we'd all behave ourselves. And I was a little restless, but I was there. But I'd always have my, um, my blotting paper there, wooden desk. The ink, where the ink went in. And we had our own bottles of ink. And you'd have your pens. You, you would have the, the, the ones that you would take off. And then you would squeeze and you would fill up the black ink. You getting this? And then... <laughs> And then, and then I would fill it up and I would, I would enjoy the education that I was being bestowed on by my teachers. <laughs> I say that. Um, and when I got bored on the very rare occasion, 
about every hour, I would, I would take my little pen and I would start to squeeze it a bit. And I would I had a great pleasure of dropping the ink onto the blotting paper and watching it spread out. It's amazing. I created some of the greatest works of art in that classroom. <laughs> Today on the internet, you can purchase those pieces of work for about $100,000. And the early work of Phil Collins, not the singer. But you can't never find them, because if you Google Phil Collins, you'll never find me. Um, and, and I do this, and it, hours of fun. My life, I feel, is like that blotting paper. And when I allow Jesus and the Spirit of Christ to grab hold of my life, what I'm saying is, where the Spirit touches those areas of my life, it comes, it marks, it spreads into that area. One of the greatest activities we did when they weren't watching, was to try and fill the whole blotting paper with ink. So it turns from pink to black. And I guess what Paul is saying here is make every effort that every part of your soul, of your life, of who you are, would be touched with the tinge and the work and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Every part of your family, every part of work life, every part of who you are, as you, that you may become, come to your senses and discover the true you and the true person that Christ has meant you to be, and that is in Christ Jesus. And... If you look then at Romans 10, moving on from 9. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. It's a strange thing, but it's a fact that we are all dying. You're dying, I'm dying. We're all dying. The great stories of the ancient world, of seeking immortality and seeking a way to live forever. But the truth is, we're dying. It doesn't matter where we're at, we are dying. Genesis 3 says, from dust we came from, to dust we return. Our bodies are a problem, aren't they? They, they create, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, your body is corrupted, your body is failing. In fact, in some versions it says, you oh, this vile body, this lowly body, this body that creates problems for me. And isn't this the truth? The truth is, is that we, I mean, when I was 18, I thought I was invincible. I'm now 52. How did that happen? And it takes longer for me to recover. My body's changing. I've got more aches and pains. Are you tracking with me here? I, want, I think like a 26-year-old, 
But I sometimes, you know, I knew I gave in when I got a hot tub just for the aches and pains. Um, But my body, who by the power enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies. I think some version says our vile bodies. So our bodies are decaying as a result of sin. Our bodies are are a problem as a result of sin. But what Paul is saying is that, and it was a great debate in the Roman world, of course, because everybody believes that if they have the perfect body, if they have the perfect fitness, if they uh, engage in this kind of um, way whereby our bodies and, and health and fitness, and, and, the, and we, we believe in fitness, I believe in health, I run marathons, I've, I've done these things, I love it, but still my body is not the answer to my life. Because so many people believe that if I've just got the right body and I do the right things and I look at my body and I solve it and everything's perfect with my body, then I will be super, completely happy in life because I've got this great body. But that's not true, is it? Because you can have the perception in this world of of having perfection. And yet inside, you can still be as miserable and insecure and dark. In the same way religion never answers it, in the same way our bodies can never, because it's corrupted, it is lowly, it is vile, Paul says. And what point is he trying to make? He's trying to make the point, we're all dying. Because of the corruption of sin. We're all dying because of the corruption of sin. And yet, we know that because the Lord has paid a price. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine. Milk, without money, and without cost. How can you buy all of this without cost? I mean, if I walk into Savon up the road, formerly known as Cooper's, and it will forever be called Cooper's in my heart. (laughs) I'm a late adapter. And I walk in and I say, well, I'd like to buy some, um, some water. I'd like to come and buy some wine. Not that you can do that there. Uh, some milk. Uh, and I'll have no money. The truth is this. That everything we need for living and life is found in the presence of the Spirit of God. And he provides all the wonderful things for us. You won't find it anywhere else for one simple reason, that Jesus Christ has paid the price and has paid the cost. When he died on the cross, he has paid the bill for our lives. And so we realise 
that our bodies are decaying, that our bodies are... And yet, it says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. When you are born again, and when we become Christians, when we step into relationship with Christ, we already know from verse 9 that there is, there's no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Spirit of God. So you, when you became a Christian, you were invigorated, you were empowered, you were transformed by a deposit of heaven that came into your life and lives within you. And it's there. And it's up to you to encourage the springs of living water to become overwhelmed by the, by the presence of God, to be consumed by his eternal fire, to every day allow God to move in your work. But what Paul is saying is here, what has happened to you internally, spiritually, one day, all the resources of the cosmos, of the Spirit of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all the resources, limitless resources of God will be poured out on this earth, on that great day, and even in that day, our mortal bodies will rise, and we will live again with a new body, transformed by the power of Christ. That's what that means. Your body is dying now, but one day a trumpet will sound and the infused power that saved you, the infused power that brought Christ back from the grave on that resurrection morning, that same infused power will come to this planet and we will rise and we will live again for eternity. Hallelujah. And this is what he's... Now remember, he's, he's almost... It's almost grammatically spitting in their faces here. Saying, wake up. You're dying, but you're going to live forever. Your body's going to in the ground, but your body's going to rise and you're going to have the greatest experience. And the only thing when the great judgment comes, the only thing that's going to end up in the dumpster of eternity is not you, but your sin will end in the dumpster of eternity and you will be the person God created you to be. Wow. What You say, but what, what kind of person am I going to be? And I'm going to be the ultimate image of myself. I guess you all have an idea of when you are at your very best. Is that going to be me? Are we all going to be like 18-year-olds running around? I don't really want to be my 18-year-old me. If I imagine I'd rather be my 29-year-old me. I th- that was probably the best me I've ever been. You probably wouldn't agree. I had long blonde hair down here. Oh, yeah. I was running ultra marathons. I was dating a certain young lady. And I was lucky. Fit, I was climbing mountains. 
canoeing down rivers. That's the image of me. But I tell you what, the resurrected me is nothing compared to that because we cannot imagine what the glorious resurrection will make us. It's so wonderful. So this should give us hope. Why should this give us hope? Because what Paul is saying, you have the power of the Spirit to live this life even though your body is dying. And we are all dying. Even Paul's dead. We're all dying. But one day, one day, you're going to live forever. So when you face hardship, just remember that Jesus has got the victory. We know how difficult it is in our society. Cancer. Diseases. We're praying for people in our own congregation who are battling with cancer. Regularly. Fasting. Praying. Because of their bodies. Their vile, lowly bodies. We have experienced here in this room, many of you will say yes. But what Paul is saying is this. That, that our vile, lowly bodies, if I may say that, cannot steal from us the eternal hope and the power of the Spirit in our lives. You see, something like cancer, and I say this respectfully, and they're praying, something like cancer cannot steal from us or disable our ability to love. It cannot take away our faith It cannot shatter our hope. It cannot rob us of our peace. It cannot destroy our friendships. It cannot suppress our memories. It cannot take away our courage to keep running for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It cannot rob you of your soul. It cannot take away your salvation. It cannot corrupt your soul or rob you of all that Christ has done in your life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, our bodies are broken and we feel it. Some of us are experiencing it more than others. But the promise is, you will one day become the very best you can imagine. You will one day experience the richness and the very best and the glory of all that Christ will give you in the resurrection. He received a new body, a glorified body, a wonderful body, and you will also receive that wonderful body. I'll tell you why. Because one day... Every one of us will experience our own personal Easter morning. 
Every one of us, we may have been through the pain as he went through the crucifixion, as he went through the agony, as he went through all of life, and then on the third day he rose again. What Paul is saying is, don't let this worry you, because he achieved salvation in you, and he has given you the gift of eternity, and one day you will have your personal Easter morning. One day, I'm going to know what it's going to be like to rise bodily. So this must change my attitude. It makes me a prayer like never before. When I pray for sick people, I pray for these, these diseases, we pray together. Oh, I said to one old pastor, you know, how do we pray for people who are suffering from cancer? It's about 20 years ago. He was Welsh. And he just looked at me. He'd been in pastoral ministry for nearly 50 years. He said, you never stop praying. You fight it. Like a demon from hell, you never give up. You keep believing. You keep battling. And this is what Paul's saying. Keep believing, keep battling, but we keep your mind clear because Christ and his infinite power has won the ultimate victory. You know, when the, car, when the trumpet sounds, there will be no more walkers. There will be no more dementia. There will be no more heart disease. There will be no more arthritis. There will be no more mental illness. There will be no more pain and suffering because the king has returned and he has called his church and he has renewed us and we will be there in his glorious presence. He won that victory. He won that victory for you. And so he reminds you And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and we would say amen, he is. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Because of his spirit who lives in you. So at some point, not only your internal man has been fully renewed, but your physical life will be fully renewed in the great resurrection. So Paul felt the need to turn his attention, to be personal, and to remind them. The greatest gift you have got as a human being, the mega miracle, is the spirit dwells in you. Don't waste your potential in God, but be the man of God that God has called you to be. Be the woman of God that God has called you to be. I even imagine myself, what kind of person will I be in the resurrection? I want to live in that mindset right now that Christ has risen because he has purchased it already for me. What potential am I wasting? Am I opening every door of my life and letting him come into me? Even when my body is broken... Am I still pursuing his spirit in my life? Because you can't argue with your birth certificate. 
And am I pursuing God in that way? And am I realising that nothing can rob me of my own Easter morning? Nothing can rob me of eternity. Nothing can rob me of what Christ did for me on the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope you're glad you came to church this morning. I really am. Because Paul is, is, is encouraging us. I feel I've been counseled by the Apostle Paul in this. Get your priorities right. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we gather and thank you for the glorious Trinity that have engaged in the divine dance of salvation. We thank you for the love of God that has been shared with us through the cross and all of what I've preached, Lord, has only been possible because of the cross. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Scripture informs us that we should examine ourselves before the Lord and maybe examine yourself before the Lord. Are you living in the full potential of the power of the Spirit in your life? Are you becoming the person who you should be? Are you finding yourself in the spirit, your true self? Are you allowing the blotting paper of your heart to become tinged and full of the colour of God's great Holy Spirit on you? Are you living courageously because nothing can take away Love, hope, faith, peace, the friendship you have, the glorious gifts of memories, your courage. Nothing can take that away. Your soul, your salvation. Nothing can take that away. Because of the cross. Take a moment. Take a moment and let the Lord minister to you the good news of his full counsel of salvation. Let people go who have offended you. Forgive all who have hurt you. And prepare to eat from the table where he has paid the price. And as we do this, I'm going to invite the ushers to take position. Maybe you've come in this morning and you know that you're not a Christian. And you've listened to this and you've thought, you know, I don't have that assurance of salvation this morning. I 
I don't even know whether I'm really a Christian. Then right now you can give your life to Jesus. And take your communion because you've invited Jesus into your heart to dwell within you, to be part of your life. And he comes and makes his home with you. So as the believers are working their things through before they take communion, maybe it's your time to become a Christian and get right with God. I prayed this prayer when I was a rebellious son of an atheist teenager and asked Jesus to dwell in my heart, giving me life now and life to come. Giving me the gift of my own Easter morning. I prayed this. You can pray if you want. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm so sorry for the way that I've lived. And I ask you to come into my life and change me. I give my whole life to Jesus and I invite him in to dwell in my life. Come and change me now. Come, Lord. Hallelujah. Reach out to him and he will reach out to you and know that he will bring salvation into your life into your home and you will have the gift of the Spirit deposited into your life. Hallelujah. Amen.